0: It's tough to be up here every day giving the word that is meant to change people's lives and think you can do it 40 to 50 times a year. So continue to pray for Matt and his family and and gird them as they're traveling today. So let's start with prayer. Father God, it seems like every time I come to you, I ask you to, to use me, to speak through me, to make it your words, not mine. Just as you shut the mouths of lions, shut my mouth, Lord, and speak. The Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would take whatever said today and personalize it for those who hear. May they have ears to listen. May all of us listen. And I thank you, God, that you gave this message for me to learn from first so that I could figure things out for myself long before I could stand up here today. So we thank you and we ask, Lord, that you would bless this time. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, I mentioned that you have to be very careful when you pray, Lord, use me. Because he takes you literally, and this is where you end up. So before you pray that, make sure that you want that. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. I serve as an elder in our church, and um, I don't do this for a profession. I do this as a love gift so that our pastors can have some time off and, um, and they can have a life. Because they are supposed to have a life as well, and a a marriage, and family, and kids, and do all those things. That's really super important. So as we go into today, um, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you'd join me, we'll open your Bibles, and we'll go through this together very briefly. There's an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that the people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. So, today, as we uh, prepared in our house for this message, my wife wanted to know what I was going to wear because that was going to be a major decision for me. Because very, very quite often I come out and she'll say, Nope, try again. So I told her what I was going to wear this morning. She goes, "You know what's going to happen? Every time you wear that, someone comes up to you and asks if you're Dave Ramsey from Financial Peace University. <laughs> I'm not, and I can prove it. <laughs> you can ask her." So, just a word of warning. My name is Jeff Shive. I have family with me today. I have some family that couldn't be here with me, um, but I have with me my guiding. Guiding heart here, my wife of 42 years, Nancy, um, she has suffered through many times when I come up and speak at different occasions, not, not always in church, and they're always worried what's going to come out of my mouth, so they're all here today representing my family just in case I should make them a part of the sermon illustration, so uh, they get a chance for rebuttal after we're done. This morning, we're going to take a look at Ecclesiastes, and i got to be honest with you, the first few times I read Ecclesiastes, I wanted to ask God, just what about this book did you think was good to include with all the other good stuff? I mean, i got to tell you, God, Solomon is a whiner. He has everything. I mean, if, if it's not in there where he's written that he has it, it can't be had. He's got all of it. And all he does is mope around and say, life is meaningless. I don't know about you, but I could use some grand palaces and all of the gold and silver in the world and to be the wisest person where everybody asks you questions. I mean, like, that's got to be a great life. The difference is Solomon sees it during Ecclesiastes at the end of his life where perhaps he has gone off the rails just a little bit. We're going to look at what God has to say through Solomon on three kind of levels, eternity, time, and history. Now, I'm going to warn you, my pastor Steve refers to me as a Bapticostal. I believe in the firmness of the Bible, and I stand on that truth, but I also believe the Holy Spirit's active today, and God still speaks today, and I'm more than willing to listen and talk to him all the time. So if I get a little out there, you know who to blame. Okay? It's just the way I grew up. i want to start with a couple of quotes first. And then we're going to take them into Scripture. The first one is this. History has a habit of repeating itself. History has a habit of repeating itself. And then a quote by a gentleman by the name of George Santanana. And he says, those who can't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And various phrases like that, my folks explained that to me many times as a slow learner. And I see those two things as we look at Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is a tour of life. On one level, it's a tour of Solomon's life. But on another level, it's a tour of our lives. And life is just a bunch of change. I'm not really excited about change. I like things to be kind of status quo and kind of go through the the motions. But God is not a God of status quo. He's a God of change. That's what the redemption story is all about. So in verse 1, he says, everything, there is a season, and for everything, a purpose for every time, a purpose under heaven. Well, I'm going to jump ahead in this scripture for a moment. I'm going to take you to verse 11. He says in verse 11, he's made everything appropriate in his time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. I think to understand the writer of this book, truly the author of it, you have to look at eternity. See, eternity is is out there it is something we can't conceive of albeit we came from there and eventually we entered into this thing called time and we will exit time someday but the author of eternity has created something to teach us and that's this thing called time time is the teacher that allows us to see that there's a purpose and the lesson to learn. Sometimes when someone tells you there's a lesson to learn, it's not the most exciting moment in your life. But when the author of eternity says, I'm going to give you this, you have to remember what his name is. His name is I am. Not I was, or I'm going to be, but I am. I am is the definition of eternity. I just am. So is eternity. It is. In fact, the, the Hebrew translation, when you look at God's name of I am, is the God who is. He just is. He is both inside time, but outside of time. And it's outside of time where we came from. Now, admittedly, when we look at eternity, it's hard to understand, but it's hard to understand for a reason. God wants to place eternity on your heart for a reason, but He doesn't want to tell you everything. He wants you to have a glimpse to develop a hunger and a desire. You see, he wants you to desire eternity so much that you're willing to make some changes. You're willing to deal with some hard stuff. I don't know about you, but in the church, we deal with some hard stuff. It's a messy life when we live together. But I believe that when God gives us the eternity pull on our heart, it's his desire to call us home. You think of that. Not all of us grew up with a good home. There's probably a lot of us that would like to change home, but when we think about that feeling of home that you might have, it's a desire that's very, very strong. Growing up, my mom was an art teacher. My mom didn't believe in coloring books. I'm pretty sure the first coloring book I ever bought was when my son Gabe was old enough to color. They weren't allowed. We have blank paper. We have more crayons than anybody else in the neighborhood and colored pencils and whatever. But you were going to start from a blank piece of paper and do your own thing. I think that's what God has as eternity. It's a giant blank canvas that only he knows the picture that can be painted there. But he is excited to see us go through time, go through life and create a picture God has a tool that he uses, and that's time. Think of time like like the magic paintbrush. It always has the right colors. It always puts the colors where you want. It doesn't run. It doesn't get on your clothes or the carpet. I have grandkids. These things happen, you know. But it's cool when it's your grandkids, right? With your children, it's a bad deal. It's your grandkids. It's a work of art. Leave it there. It'll be fine. But you have this paintbrush, and you're doing this. All right. So I want to give you a concept of what time is. Already everybody under the age of five in here this morning has played with this, and I have to keep an eye on it because the sermon illustration kind of dies when they steal your prop. So this is a collapsible or expandable ball, is what they call it. Okay, eternity is everything outside of this ball. Everything inside of this multicolored ball is time. And time is defined by one of the commentaries I read is a temporary moment. In motion. Your life is doing all kinds of things. All right? And this time exists only in this ball. I'm sure you figured it out, but we are prisoners of time. We can't push pause as much as we'd like to sometimes. The Lord knows I'd like to push fast forward sometimes. Sometimes I'd like to push rewind. Let's do that again. That was good. I love worship time. I could stand here all day and listen to worship songs. Which, by the way, when they were praying this morning, they said, well, we hope that the worship songs fit the message. Holy cow, I couldn't have picked better songs. It's perfect. We're in this thing called time. And another commentator I read said, he described us. We're a lost and homeless people from the land of eternity looking to find our way home. Well, that's what I think. God takes from eternity is he puts it in our hearts for a reason, because we have a hunger and a thirst for redemption. How are we going to find our way home? Because we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But somehow or another, a benevolent God says, we can do that. We can have that desire. Now, I'm sure I'm going to step on a few toes here, but let me ask you, how would you define eternity? Think of that for just a moment. It's a question that probably doesn't have a really great answer, but here's one I would have. I grew up with a father who was a Cubs fan. Every year, he would think about when's the next time the Cubs would win the World Series, like since 1908. That's a definition of eternity, because the next one you got may be the last one you're going to see in your lifetime and all of our lifetimes. It could be a long time. Another way to define eternity is Heinz ketchup. Our family likes a little hamburger with our ketchup. That's just the way it is in the Shive household. And the first came out, it was in a glass bottle. In 1978, they took a lot of abuse because you couldn't get it out of the bottle. You'd bang on it a special way. You'd do this, you'd do this, you know, you'd snack. It wouldn't come out. All the other ketchups out there were a little bit looser, a little bit waterier, and, and they were assaulting them. Why can't you make it that way? Now, Heinz could have turned around and put more water in the ketchup, but they didn't. They embraced adversity, and they came out and said in 1979 with a commercial. You can look it up on YouTube. Two little cute boys are trying to put ketchup on their hamburger, and it's waiting forever and ever and ever and ever. And the song behind it is the song Anticipation. You know, Anticipation. I promised my wife I wouldn't sing it. Anticipation, Anticipation, you're making me wait. And it finally gets on that, that hamburger, and these boys look like it's the best thing ever. And I'm right there with them. And at the bottom of the screen, it says the taste that's worth the wait. I think about that. It says in Scripture, taste and see that this is good. Would not that eternity be worth the wait? So we go back to our canvas. Let's say that we have the canvas that is the eternity. It's blank, and we get to, we get to participate in the, taking the time brush and making this picture. And that picture that you paint through your life, is going to tell the story of your life. Now, I hear a lot of people say, I don't have a story. I don't have a God story. I wasn't an axe murderer who met Jesus on a country road one night and decided to give my life to Jesus, and now I'm an evangelist. Okay, that's one story that's possible, but everybody has a God story. I want you to think for a moment. What would your story look like if you had that blank canvas? And in light of Ecclesiastes that we're talking about here, I would ask you, where's God in your story? Because that's where Solomon's struggling right now. During his time, he wrote the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. It was God. It was you, O God, you, O Lord. And then in the Proverbs, he was starting to feel how intelligent he was and how wise. And pretty soon, it became kind of a we conversation. But he gets to Ecclesiastes, and it's more of an I. I have this palace, I have this riches, I have this intellect, and he starts to lose touch. Well, as you're looking at your story and you're living your story, I want to share something that steps on my toes. It comes from a pastor by the name of Rick Ashley. Rick Ashley spoke at the um, Ozark Christian College Preaching and Teaching Convention. I didn't go. I just read the posts on Facebook from a friend of mine who went. He always invites me. I never go because I never thought I'd do this. Why go if you're never going to be up here? I think I missed the boat on that one. But the quote is this. "Are Non-Christians, okay? Non-Christians don't read Bibles. They read Christians. The painting you're painting and the story you're writing somebody's watching you, somebody's watching you. We're going to come back to that. In fact, you'll hear it several times. You'll think, gosh, he gets one good quote and he wants to ride that dead horse till it goes. And that, you're about right. If we look at the first eight verses, they're comparisons. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to dance, all of those things. I want to go back to the time ball for a moment. If you can see, and I'm really disappointed, I wanted a bigger one of these, but this is as big as you could get. There's these little yellow balls that are like the elbows for this, okay? I want you to think of these little yellow balls as those definitions in the first eight pages. You know, a time to gather stones, time to throw stones, a time to love, a time to hate. And they're connected this way, and in between those points is a line. Just think there's a line that goes between any two points. Theoretically, that's how this is designed. It's a child's toy, so it may not be exact, okay? But the concept is there. Each of those yellow balls is something called a mirrorism, okay? This is a a literal term, a literature term, and it means that we've given some aspects or some curbs that we're going to have on life, and we're driving down the highway as we go through this. In between those mirrorisms, is what they call a season. You've heard people talk about, I'm just in a season of this. We're in a season of that, okay? In between those mirrorisms is where life happens. And life happens on all the ways that Solomon described it from those various mirrorisms in verses one through eight. Life is happening in these seasons and they intersect with each other. Sometimes they collide. Sometimes they just sort of bypass each other or they run fine next to each other. But there's times when those seasons are meaningful, either in a positive way or a difficult way. God says in Scripture that seasons are meant to teach us. They're meant to help us deepen our faith or find our faith or understand our faith. Or those seasons can be meant to help us achieve a breakthrough on something we're struggling with now I could I could name various break you know seasons that you're struggling with and have you raise your hand but you didn't have me raise my hand for who's a visitor today so I'm not going to do that to you I'll be kind but those seasons are meant for us to learn from I'm a big mercy me fan a couple years ago they had a song called almost home almost home is like a short little mini series song of seasons like this two young kids neighborhood friends play together eventually go to school together eventually they find out they're they're more than just friends they're falling in love they get married they go to college they do all the typical things and then at the end of the song spoiler alert if you don't know the song um, they're in their their older years and the wife is about to graduate from this life and walk with jesus And there's all these flashbacks of what's happened in the seasons of their life. And I'm I'm terrible with songs. If you didn't have the words up there for a song, I would not know what to sing. But on this particular one, this grabs me. The song verse says, you are right now where you're willing to be. Meaning, if you're in this season and you decide to just sit there and complain about it and do nothing about it, then you are where you're willing to be. It's like being in a river and swimming. You're either going to swim upstream and get someplace, like maybe to shore and save your life, or you're going to try and tread water. Well, you can only do that for so long, you're going to get tired and wash downstream. Or you may just decide that river is it, and you just let it wash you downstream. That's what seasons are like. The question I want to ask you right now to start contemplating is, you're in a season right now. You don't have to tell me what it is. Being an elder, I've seen so many seasons that are over and over, and you think, God, can't we just take this one off the shelf and put it away and not use this season anymore? But it's where we humans are. The question is, in the season you're in, where are you willing to be right now? Are you treading water, hoping for the season to end early? Mm -hmm. Let me know how that works for you. It did not work in my life. Are you just going to jump in and decide, that's it, I can't? I'm just going to let it go. I'll just live this way forever. Or are you swimming for shore? Or are you swimming upstream? Or are you making an effort? It was said a long time ago that people would come next to you and, and say, Well, this too shall pass. And we always say that as if it's scriptural. You know, someone puts their arm around you and you're in a rough season, and you say, Well, this too shall pass. And it sounds really biblical. It's really good advice, but it's not biblical. But it does come from Jewish folklore. It's said that a sultan came to the mighty King Solomon, and he wanted to just poke the bear a little bit and say, hey, how wise are you? So he says, mighty King Solomon, give me a sentence that is always true in the good times and in the bad times. And according to myth or folklore, Solomon answers, this too shall pass away. Great advice to remember as we start talking about our seasons. Seasons are limited by time. There's an end date and a start date. You might be in a season of critical test results for your health. You might be in a season of marital conflict. You might be in a season of prodigal children or illnesses or the whole political unrest and uncertainty that, that seems like is all over the place with us. The enemy... Okay, here comes the Baptocostal part. The enemy seeks to kill and destroy. He's a roaring lion. He wants your attention. He wants you to lose hope and be weary and punt. He wants you to either just tread water and see how long you can handle it or just give up and float downstream. That's what he wants. And he's really good at it. But I want to tell you, God hears your cry from help. But if you're not talking to God and God isn't a part of your life, then it does seem meaningless that's where Solomon's at right now he's got all this going on but he's unhappy he's unhappy because all the things he's got has gotten in the way of the God he doesn't have at this point he's not sure well I would tell you this that scripture affirms that there is hope and it's found in the strength and the sovereign will and timing and provision of God conversely there are those seasons of blessing you know it seems to be very popular. I don't do much on Facebook, but it seems to be very popular on Facebook to air your grievances and be pouty and whiny and woe is me. But in life, God gives you both seasons, and it's okay if you're in a season of blessing right now to feel good about it. If you just had a, a salvation decision in your family, maybe a new child, grandchild born, it's okay if you've, you've had an uptick in your finances to feel good about that As long as you give God the glory. As long as you give Him what's there and what to do is His. But in both of those seasons, seasons of difficulty and seasons of blessing, how you handle that is the story that's being written by you at this point for others to read. And it goes back to in your low times and in your high times, people are reading your story. Non-Christians do not read the Bible. They read Christians. I think that's terrible news because they're trying to decide whether God is good and whether he's really as, as awesome as he is and whether it's important in my life based on how they see him in my life. I would tell you, you know, I can probably stumble through 40 minutes up here and make you think that that I love God and I do everything the way He wants it, but the truth of the matter is I'm just a messy human being. I live and stumble just like everybody else. But at this point, I want to be different. I want to be somebody that when they read my story, they can at least see the glory of God. Maybe not the glory of Jeff, that's okay, but the glory of God. So we go to verse 9. Solomon says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? Struggles is a word for life. What do you gain out of life? Do you hope you just get through it and get out of here? I mean, for me, is this like calculus class? Please, God, deliver me fast. And it did. I was invited to drop the class. That's not the way you need to do it. And for those of you who are young in here, study hard and, and work hard. But it wasn't for me at that point. Verse 10 kind of tickles me. I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. It's like we're being babysat. It keeps us occupied, this thing called life, doesn't it? Is there like something always going on? Is there always something that just comes up? And here again, warning, Baptist alert. Just when things are going well, whoo, something takes you out at the knee. I wonder who that is. It wasn't God. It's the enemy. He doesn't want you to celebrate life. We talk about the living hope. That's who I want. I want that living hope. As I look at life, and I'm going to read this because I think it's quite profound, the task or the life is the creation of the picture, the masterpiece, using seasonal colors on the canvas of eternity for the purpose of one and only one thing, that your masterpiece, your picture, your story would share the hope you have in Jesus Christ. News alert, you're important, but you're not the point. You are not the big character in this movie. You get a great Academy Award for being a supporting actor or actress, but you're not the star here. You see, the star of the story, the star of the picture is God's role in how that's read, or God's role how it's viewed, or God's role how it's seen on the canvas, What Solomon is struggling here is he's looking in the mirror and he says, man, it's all meaningless. It's because now he's got blinders on his eyes. He can't see where God's role is in his story. And therefore, when he looks at it, he feels the story is cheap because there is no leading man. There is no central character. See, when you're walking with God and you live in the season, there's things that are thrilling you know that when you're walking with God, you are seen. He sees you. It says that multiple times in Scripture. When you're walking with God, He hears you. It says that multiple times in Scripture. He hears you. But the really cool part is if you get to that and you're trying and you are working with all your heart and mind and soul to be what God is calling you to be, Others are reading your story, and no matter how messed up your story is, no matter how tough it is, all of those things, when God lays eternity on your heart, and he does that, they don't see you in your messed up life. They see God in your messed up life, and they get it. You may never know. You know, they say that when you talk to somebody in sales, it used to be you had to talk to them seven times before they would be open to buying something from you. In 2022, it came out with a statistic that said 21 times. I just decided not to talk to anybody anymore. We were never going to get there. Nobody has ever said you need to talk to somebody seven times before they'll choose Jesus. Or 20 times or 100 times. We just hear the message over and over and over. But there is that moment when you see Jesus and it's like in the flesh right there. Like you could hug him and feel a physical presence. That's the moment. That's the time. And it might be a big event. it might just be a quiet moment. I know I have friends that say I don't have a God story. I grew up in a Christian home, my folks were Christian. They said it apologetically. My folks were Christian, my grandparents were Christians, the great-grandparents were Christians. Yeah we got several pastors in the family, got some really nice you know, that's your story. Do not all of us as parents and grandparents want to change the family tree and hope that when they say, when all this started, you might have had something to do with it and you can say, no, it wasn't me, it was God. It was a God thing. When God is at the center of your life and others can read that, the best thing comes out and that's a redemptive purpose for the story. That's what this whole thing is about. God's taken the very part, first part of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to be a spoiler alert here. very first part of Ecclesiastes, he's to go all the way through, and he's going to say, look at that. All that stuff didn't bring Solomon closer until he stops and says, it is all meaningless without God. And that's what these seasons in life are for. I would tell you this. When you feel like you're alone, stop. And it's okay to say, God, God, where are you? I can't see you. That's the appropriate thing. You can't say, God, where'd you go? It's not like he went, well, that was lost, and he walks off. No, he's there trying to grab your attention, asking to reveal himself. This is my very favorite verse out of the Bible, Isaiah 43, 2 through 3. He makes promises, and then he does something else. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Man, those are some powerful promises. But ain't it just like God? He says this, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Boom! Explanation point. He doesn't have to say any more. If there was a holy mic drop, it might have been right there. That's what he's talking about. Now, Solomon's talking about these things. We're talking about these seasons. Here's the deal. You're going to have some bad seasons. The best news is this. Seasons have a duration. Okay? There's a start date and an end date. We don't know that. I know you can ask, how long do I have to be in this? I don't know. It's my belief, and I can't prove it anywhere, but it's my belief. If you're treading water... It's gonna be longer. If you're just letting the the river run you downstream, it's gonna be longer. But if you turn around and say, I'm gonna go that way because that appears to be the way that God wants me to go, I think this season has a shot at being shorter. Now, maybe not. Maybe we got a lot of lessons to learn. But I would tell you there's three things you need to know in those bad seasons. The first thing always is cling to Jesus. Man, wherever he's at, grab him. Don't let go. You remember in the Old Testament, the man, Grab Jesus and said, I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me. Turned out good for him. I'd try it. Grab a hold of Jesus. The second thing is, remember, all these seasons are temporary moments of time in motion. They will pass. The third thing I would say, though, is this, man, stay in motion. The 23rd Psalm says what? Yea, though I walked through the valley of shadow death. I walked through. It doesn't say yea, though I stayed there for a while. I built a house, put an in-ground pool, got a job, found some great daycare for my kids, and I'm just going to sit here and wallow in my sin. Now, if I said picture somebody in your mind who's like that, you all know you know somebody, and it came right to your mind right there. Oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Please do not turn to your spouse and elbow them at this point, okay? If you're in the bad season, that's what you do. But here's the good news. That is just as applicable in the good seasons. Because it's in the good seasons that your back is turned and you're over here, you're loving it, things are going great. But you know who's sneaking up on you? Now, if you're under the age of 40, you don't remember the time when the very best thing a defensive end could do is see that quarterback turn like this, and you just watched it in slow motion as he obliterated him. Well, in today's football, you know you can't, you can't touch them. Well, the enemy doesn't play football. He's looking for you to have your back turned and be unsuspected, and he is going to hit you as hard as he can. It's his job. He's done it for thousands of years, and he's good at it. So in the good times, I would do these three things. This isn't, this isn't really good, but don't write it down. But first thing I do is what? Cling to Jesus. Cling to Jesus, because when it's going good, man, I want to hold on to him, because I know what's coming. The second thing is, this too shall pass. Your good time isn't going to last forever. I know the songs on the radio say the good times last forever, but that's a lie. They don't. Those songs are three and a half minutes long for a reason. And the third thing is, keep moving. Keep moving. Because if you just sit there, you're still going to get washed downstream. Now, I would ask you, How was your prayer life at those times? I'm sure in the bad times, I've been there on my knees crying out for God, asking him to show up in a mighty way and take this cup from me because I don't want it. I got that prayer down. The one I don't have down is the one in the good times saying, hey, hey, God, I know this is really good. I know I got my eye on the receiver over here, and I know I can throw it that far, but I'm a little worried something's coming. I'm hearing footsteps. I'm not an advocate of rewriting scripture, so before you send in the hate mail, that's not where I'm going here. But I have friends that pray so well, it's like poetry in motion, and I hear scripture as they pray. And I used to think, wow, how do they pray like that? I don't know. They read the Bible, and they read it a lot, and it gets in their blood, and when they pray to God, they return God's word to Him. So I want to share something with you here. If we took the 23rd song, and I only, I can't memorize anything. So years ago in Vacation Bible School, we memorized it in the King James Version. That's how old I am. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. I didn't know at the time what a rod was. You remember? A rod is for the back of the fool. I got that several times. Only it was a yardstick. But I look at this scripture and I say, could we rewrite that so that we could put ourselves in it? And I love it when we can put ourselves in scripture. So I would write it like this. Thank you, Lord, for even though I walk through the season of fill-in-the-blank, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your correction and support will guide and comfort me. So what do we fill-in-the-blank with? Even though I walk through the season of pornography... Even though I walk through the season of adultery, yeah, am I stepping on your toes yet? Even though I walk through the season of profanity, even though I walk through the season of unbelief, even though I walk through the season of cancer, even though I walk through the season of divorce, man well obviously, we'd be, we'd be praying then, asking God, but name it. Name it. God, He's smart, you know He's omniscient. You can just say, "Help me, Lord." and that's good enough. But part of me says, let's name it. Let's name the demon that's got you by the ankle and won't let go. Let's name it and force the issue. But likewise, maybe more importantly, is put the positive. Lord, even though I walk through the season of maybe a little bit better finances, and I won't fear any evil because you're with me. That means if you've got a little extra change in your pocket, you're not going to spend it stupid it's valuable. Or if it's in a time of parenting or a time of marriage or a time of whatever that season is in the good and the bad seasons, say that. I will fear no evil because you're with me. You're with me in this mess, but you're with me in this victory. You're with me in both of those. And why do I say that? Because you want something. You want God's presence because he is with you. You want God's providence because you know he wants the best for you it may not be what you want come on now it may not be what you desire it may be what you need but you always want God's protection in those moments and he is more than willing to meet you where you're at but it's at these times when you're acting this way we go back to the other statement by pastor Ashley non-christians don't read bibles They read Christians because you're the story, the storybook, the storyteller. Who's watching your story right now? Your spouse? Your parents? Your kids? That one always hurts. You know how they always remember the bad things you did. Is it your grandkids? Is it your neighbor? Is it somebody you don't even know is watching you? Right now, somebody is deciding on whether or not God is good and God is great based on what they read in your story. I'd love to say, would you please watch them? They got a better story than I do. Please, please don't judge me that way. Watch these folks. But the truth of the matter is, we're all there. Solomon's right. Life is meaningless. When you've lost sight of where God is in the story. If you think the story is all about you, you're sadly mistaken, and you're going to figure it out eventually, and it's not going to be a happy moment. I like this that I read. I can't, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was this. How we respond through a season is the testimony of the gospel in your daily life. You are portraying the story that others will read. If God ain't in your story, your story is not worth retelling. Fact of the matter. We're all on that journey. I didn't figure that out till I was 34 years old. I was the furthest thing from wanting to be a Christian. But eventually, remember I said history repeats itself. You go through the stuff over and over and over, and you, you think, why does this keep happening to me? I don't know. If you keep doing things the way you keep doing them, they keep turning out the same way they would have. That's the definition of insanity. You need to take a good, sobering look at who's looking at your story now. Is that the story you want them to read? I think the very worst Bible verse there ever was is the one that says that God remembers and you have the sins of the Father through three and four generations. That's really exciting as a Christian, isn't it? But it's the truth. Unless we turn things around, it just keeps getting repeating. What your dad does, you do. What your son does, and then down those. That's that's not what we want to pass down, generation. We want to break that generational curse, and start over, and be the man God wants you to be, or the woman God wants you to be, and make a difference. See Joshua. Excuse me. First John, chapter five says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and that this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's what Solomon is discovering. His life is meaningless because the Son of God is not at the middle of his life. Now, I want to take you back to the last half of verse 15. really struck me as odd. I've read this... uh, Probably 50 times to try and figure this out. It says, however, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Now, on one hand, it's kind of a teaser trailer as we go into the next half of, of chapter 3. But for me, that wasn't enough. God just doesn't put something in there to be a nice little link. There's got to be something more to it. So I tried to figure it out. I tried to find a bunch of readings. I tried to watch a bunch of other people's sermons read a bunch of articles, and at the end of the day, I spent a lot of time reading. I'm sure it was good for me, but I didn't have my answer. So being a 63-year-old child, I sat down and said, God, I don't get it, and I want it right now because Sunday's coming. And it struck me that a lot of people writing the commentaries skipped that verse, and it made me more curious. You know, if you're trying to hide something, I want to know what's behind your back. And so when I looked at it, I thought, hmm, it doesn't fit. Therefore, it must be really important. I better find out. So I'm going to turn this rock over until I find something good underneath it. And that was when God said, you know what? Why don't you sit down and just listen for a moment and try some different perspectives? So I went to Bible Gateway, where all good Christian scholars go because you don't own all the fancy books. And I pulled out every English version of that portion of scripture, to read what all kinds of translations said. Some of them said, God seeks again that which is passed away, or God summons each event back in its own turn. Now, my first inclination was, you know, God's going to remember the persecuted? Yeah, it's like all of you who've said nasty things about me, and all of you who've done this and done that, you're going to get yours, brother. Just wait. The God of all creation is going to punish you for me i many in here think that's the way God wrote that scripture? Yeah, it's good. You're smarter than me. There was a moment where I thought, that's not bad. No, that's bad. It wasn't until I got to the message, and I know the message is not a, a, a real great translation. It's more like a storybook than it is a study Bible. But the verse in the message just tickled me. It says, that's how it always is with God. And in my mind came up this thought. You know how when you're, you're being told by your parents you need to suck it up and just move on, and they say, look, forgive and forget. Most of us can forgive. Do you think there's anybody in this room that can forget? No, I guarantee you. are going to go to your class reunion. You're going to see that guy, and you're going to go, yeah, yeah, you. What? I'm supposed to forgive and forget, right? Isn't that biblical? No, it's not. God never forgets because He knows all things, and He looks at us and says, I don't think you guys are going to be able to forget either, but I'm asking you to forgive. But it came to me then that God has this really unique ability. You see, He remembers everything. It's just that sometimes He chooses not to remember. He doesn't forget. He's not going to forget because He knows all things, but He chooses not to remember. Now, it was at this point that I really started to grow in this, this Ecclesiastes study, and that's this. You know how when you become a Christian, you'd like to be a better person? You'd like to think so. Darn you break your arm, pat yourself on the back, because you own you know, 17 different Bibles and the whole bit. You're a Christian. And then you get that memory that comes up like, yeah, I did that when I was a non-Christian. Yeah, I was still a Christian then, but I had that thought. I used to think that that was the enemy and impartial, and that's true. But really what that is, is God bringing up something in turn, as he always does, for you to remember, not for condemnation's point, but to remind you, you remember that? Isn't it so much better with grace and redemption? And I think he reminds us of that not to put shame and guilt on us. He reminds us because somewhere out there, somebody's got the same issue, the same struggle, that they think they're worthless, that God doesn't love them, that there's no hope for them because they do this, and that is the worst sin. God's preparing you to talk to that person and share with them your story, your redemption story. Now the enemy comes along and says, yeah, you remember that thing? You should feel awfully bad about that. You were awful. You did some naughty things. Yeah, get thee behind me, Satan. That's not who I'm talking to. God brought that up for a reason. He brings that up because he wants to remind you of your redemption story and that you're part of that Redeemer moment. You see, God is in the habit, remember? History repeats itself. of taking taken people with really messed up lives and no hope and giving them what? Living hope that we sang. We're going to sing a song called Promises. is your faithfulness. That's what God's doing when he repeats history. He is taking you through that redemption story. And he's saying, look, I recovered you. You were lost and now you're found. This is where you're at. So if you're in here this morning and, and you're saved and you know Jesus... You have a redemption story, and it's time for you to start thinking about that story and who's reading it. Likewise, if you're like me for 34 years and you're in here attending church, we're glad you're here. This is the best place for you. It's like being sick and going to the hospital, only you don't have to worry whether your provider here is in the network. He's everybody's network. Now's the time to start thinking about it. What is it? My favorite part of evangelism is when I'm really ticked off about something and God puts a piece in my heart and somebody says, how can you stand there like that? I'm <laughs> glad you asked. Jesus. It's not me. It's just Jesus. So if you don't have a God story yet, you're kind of like in the trailer before we see the major motion picture come out. Start opening your heart to it. Like the eunuch And he asked Philip, well, I understand the message, and I understand the need for God. There's water. Should I be baptized? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's cement. Let's talk about your salvation and where your salvation comes from, and let's let's go the full distance. If you do have a story in here, it's time you start believing it. Don't forget it. It's time you start living it. Here's the scary part. It's time you start sharing it. But it doesn't mean you have to stand on the street corner. Just live it. Treat those around you the way God would have them be treated. Let somebody read your story. And when they ask you, and they will, man, how how do you handle this? Good. History keeps repeating itself. But I'm going to take that word. I'm going to blow it apart. I'm going to have it be his story. His story. As a habit of repeating itself. Why? Because he's not given up on any of us. He had to chase me a long time. I thought I was pretty clever. I thought I was pretty smart. thought I was going to get away with it. I didn't. And the story you learn at 34 is not as good as the story you might learn faster at 10. But it's never too late as long as you have breath. It's his story in your life that people are going to read. And the most important people in your life are the ones who are reading it right now. I'm going to leave you with Romans chapter 6, and then we're going to finish up here in prayer. Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we want to be. Let's pray.